Amen. You can be seated right now. Nick Foster is going to come and, and read Scripture and pray for us this morning. And Ryan, thanks for filling in this morning, doing such a wonderful job for us. I'm going to read in Lamentations 3, 1 through 24. I am the man who has been seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yet he repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me, and so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains even when I cry out and plead for help. He blocks out my prayer. He has walked in my ways with blocks of stone. He has made, me pass, he has made my past crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forced me off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as the target for his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver. I'm a laughingstock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. He filled me with bitterness, sashayed with me with wormwood. He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I had forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought, my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my hopelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say. The Lord is my portion Therefore, I will put my hope in Him. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to praise You in every way possible, Lord. I just want to say thank You for all the blessings You have brought to us in our lives, Lord. I pray that You be with Tim Laswell as he's in the hospital with an illness, Lord. And I pray that You do healing there, Lord. I pray that You be with this congregation today. I pray that You be with Nicholas as he is preaching. Lord, I pray that You work through him. And let your word be known. Lord, I pray that through our trials and tribulations that you be glorified in those, Lord. I pray that you just continue to be with us as we walk towards you, Lord, as we run towards you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So we'll ask our ushers right now that are helping with this morning's offering if you would come. And as the ushers are coming to take the morning offering, our children that are going to Children's Church, you can be dismissed right now for Children's Church.
this morning, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Nicholas Fisher is going to preach for us this morning. And as Nicholas makes his way up, I uh, just wanted to introduce him a little bit more formally. This is Andy Fisher's son, and, and many of you know that already. Uh, Nicholas and his wife Emily have been married, what, about a year now? It's about a year, so still newlyweds for the most part. Nicholas is a uh, student at Southern Seminary, actually taking a little bit of a break right now, but he's pursuing his master's degree in seminary at Southern Seminary in Louisville. And uh, his wife is also a student at Boyce College. This is interesting because in the last few Sundays we've been, I've been preaching kind of an overview of what our membership class is like. And in the membership class, actually in teaching it this morning during Sunday school, uh, we talked about the cooperative program and how part of our, our giving as we give as a church, when you give in the offering plate just now, part of that money is sent to the cooperative program to the Southern Baptist Convention. And it helps fund the different ministries of the Southern Baptist Convention, like missionaries is the first thing we think of, but also our seminaries. And so Nicholas, uh, as a Southern Baptist, is able, his tuition is a lot lower, and yours is as well, Emily, because of your giving. All right, and other students that you've never met, their tuition is much lower. So we're actually training uh, missionaries, future missionaries, and pastors in seminaries through the, through our giving. And so it's a beautiful thing that we that we do together, as along with other Southern Baptist churches. But Nicholas, we're glad to have you here and are ready to preach the word for us this morning. So God bless you. As you do thank you. Yes, well, thank you for giving to the cooperative program because I know that Emily and I, and I know uh, Lexi as well, has been. Um, blessed by the tuition benefit for being Southern Baptist and for reduced tuition. Um, we're thankful for that. So thank you for giving. Well, it's a great honor to be with you this morning to bring the word. And um, just look at the text with me here as we start this morning. Uh, I believe it's on page 621, if you have a few Bible, 621, Psalm 145. 621. Psalm 145. I hear lots of page flipping still, so I'll hold on for just a second. Psalm 145. In the Pew Bible, it's page 621. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling 
and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food in their due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all of the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Pray with me, will you? Our great God, we thank you for gathering us together as your people. We thank you that you've brought us to yourself. We pray that as we come to your word, that you would work in our hearts and our minds and do the transformative work that only you can do, that no crafty speech of men can manipulate or create within our hearts and within our minds. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in us and create change and change our desires, change our affections for you. And God, I especially ask you as I come before you this morning, humbly, help me to be faithful, to love you and serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, lately, I have been rereading the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, it's a series that I read when I was a child, and I absolutely loved it, but I've forgotten many of the major details of the story. So I've, I've really, really enjoyed uh, rereading it. And as I've been rereading them, I haven't been able to spend as much time as I'd like reading them because of life circumstances, busyness of work, and, and family. But I found that it actually provides an opportunity for me to think more deeply about smaller sections of the story. So I find myself constantly thinking about the details of the story from the last time that I read until I'm able to read again. So when I speak with people, I like to ask them what books they're reading. And I do this because I really do want to hear from them and I want to learn and be challenged from what they've been learning in the books that they've been reading and gain some wisdom and and insight from them. But I also want to have the opportunity to share what I've been reading. And there's this scene that continuously comes back to me from the book, The Magician's Nephew. Now, I'm far past this book. I'm uh, read on, but I thought it was so beautiful and captivating that I continue to go back to it. I won't share all the details in case I inspire anyone to go read the series after today, so I'll I'll be limited in, in what I talk about. But there's two children who find themselves in the land of Narnia, in this world. When they arrive, they're in pitch black. Uh, they're in darkness, and they're not sure what's going on. They're slightly confused. There's hard ground for them to stand on. There's oxygen for them to breathe. But all they hear in the background is a faint noise. They can't. The two children can't see each other, and those that are in their company can't see one another. But they hear this faint sound in the background. And they realize that as the song changes, it's causing light to come and, and plants to rise up out of the ground. And, and they realize that the notes have something to do with this creation that's going on around them, beauty that they see. So as the notes change, certain notes are giving rise to animals and beasts of the field. And, and certain notes are giving rise to plants. And they start out as saplings and grow into mature trees. And, of course, it's an image, an illustration of the Genesis account and Genesis 1 and 2, it's, a, it's an image. It's not a perfect image, but it's a beautiful one. Seeing this music create the world beautifully. In the same way, 
in a similar way to how God's word created the world out of nothing. So it's only natural that I find myself wanting to talk with other people about this story because it's captivating to me and I've devoted a lot of time to thinking about it. And because I've devoted so much time and energy to thinking about it, I've enlarged my thoughts about it. And I've, I've gone in depth and, and created uh, kind of a, a world, if you will, in your mind of thinking about how, how the, the details are uh, important and, and beautiful in their own right. And I want, when I'm sharing that with someone else, I want them to experience it as well. So I try to explain as much detail as I can to them so that they might experience the beauty in the story as well. And I believe this is uh, the same experience that the writer of Psalm 145 is having. It's a song of high praise to God. The author has fixed his thoughts on the nature and of the works of God, so that when he speaks or when he writes, his heart is overflowing with love and joy and praise for God. This is the last psalm, Psalm 145, is the last psalm of David in the Psalter, who is the king of Israel. He was the highest authority in the land. All final decisions rested on him. And he himself, as the king, starts off by acknowledging God as his personal God and as his king. God is truly the king over all kings, including David. And he is the sovereign of the universe sitting enthroned above all people throughout all time and all places. And there is nothing that is outside of his dominion. Which is extremely comforting. Because when things seem out of control in life and things seem not to be going our way, it seems like evil is prevailing over us, we know that ultimately God is in control and that he has not yet had his last word. As we come to this psalm, David is intent on worshiping God and worshiping his God, worshiping God endlessly and forever, ceaselessly praising God and lifting his name high above for all to see, not just exalting him in his heart, but exalting him above everything, even himself, so that others might see the greatness of God in that. He declares that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. You see, if I devote myself to reading the Chronicles of Narnia over and over again, eventually I can be an expert on the material. As I continue to learn about the series and grow in my knowledge and understanding, I'll be impressed by the beauty of the story. If I think deeply about the story and its themes throughout the series, if I read about the author, C.S. Lewis, and his intent in writing, if I talk with others about the story and see what others have written, I can eventually become an expert on the material. And with God, it is not so. After years of devoting ourselves to learning about the nature and the works of God, we'll see that we have hardly scratched the surface. An ocean of knowledge looks like a tiny drop in the bucket. His greatness is truly beyond our understanding and more than we can comprehend. The more that we learn, the more we find there is to know. And in this, God is truly unsearchable. As we continue on in verses 4, we see this image of generations teaching and telling younger generations about the mighty works of God.
One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts and on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And this goes beyond a dull understanding of history and and handing down of dates and times like we learn in school. There is excitement expressed. We see that the, the communication of the mighty works are through speaking and singing and and pouring forth fame as if it's like water or liquid. Speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This is joy from one generation to another overflowing. Recalling the things that God has done. And the ways that he has shown his faithful love to his people. And what are these mighty acts of God? Well, it could be creation as I already spoke about before. It could be telling of the story of Genesis 1 and 2. Where God is the sole creator of the heavens, whose authoritative word brings everything into being out of nothing. They could be recalling the story of how God called Abraham to establish a people. Called him out of his family, out of his land, to become a great nation. And God promised to give Abraham land, and to give him children. And to give him blessing. And to bless those who would bless him, and and curse those who would curse him. And at this point in time when David is writing, they're starting to realize some of these some of these promises. They have a land of their own, becoming a great nation. They have a king ruling over them. Well, they could also be recalling the story of the Exodus, where the people are brought out of slavery from the land of Egypt. And great signs and wonders are performed in Egypt so that the Egyptians and Israel might see that the Lord truly is the living God and that he is supreme over all land whether they acknowledge him or not. Or they could be, we have this, uh, this verse, in, in verse 8 we have these words that are calling the people back to a time when God was revealing his character to them. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Well, this is echoes from Exodus 34 where as the people of Israel are called out of the land of Egypt and brought out of the land of Egypt, Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai. And while the people create a golden calf, an idol to worship in God's place, he's revealing himself to Moses. And, and Moses, Moses reacts to what he sees and he throws down the, the Ten Commandments and he has to go back up to the mountain. And God says this to God says this to Moses. He reveals himself in this way. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. My goal today is not to tell you to praise God better than you're praising Him today or to give you five steps to praise God better. My goal today is to point you to the gospel, which is the greatest work of God seen in His life, death, and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. And through Him there is freedom from sin and its consequences and there's life in Him. 
As Christians, we recall the greatness of God by looking at His Son. The church throughout the ages has passed down the gospel from one generation to another. And you can even see this within our churches. Older generations teaching younger generations, speaking of the love and the work that God has done in them by redeeming them as His own people, saving them from sin. And I'm not naive in thinking that we're all feeling the same way this morning, that we're just bursting at the seam to find a way to praise God because we live in a difficult world. And we face suffering and disappointment and loss and injustice and many other difficulties in life. And the book of Psalms is organized into five sections. And David has written this song when Israel was experiencing success and growth. However, it fits into the fifth section of the book of Psalms, which was organized after the exile. The people of God had abandoned the worship of God for idols and things that they made with their hands out of gold and silver and wood. And God judged them. And he used Assyria and Babylon to send them into exile, make them slaves. He destroyed their nation and destroyed the temple where they would meet with God. And as they returned to this land, they are broken. They have great loss. There's corruption. And it doesn't seem like God's promises are going to come true. So when they sing this song or pray this psalm as a prayer, it was in faith for things to come, not in their present circumstances. It was in recalling the things that God had done for his people. As we continue in verse 10, we have a kingdom focus. We see here that all of the works of God praise him and that the created order is actually glorifying to him, although imperfectly. Because there are parts of God's creation that do not submit to his authority, that do do not acknowledge him as king. This portion is focused on kingdom. And not all of creation submits to his rule yet. Israel was a kingdom on display to the world. And it was through them that God was making himself known so that all people of the earth would come to him. Israel had been a display of God's greatness on the earth. A people who were set apart for his own glory. They are no longer a people who are set apart for his own glory. Nor is the United States a nation that is set apart for his own glory. The church is God's called out people who have been set apart for his own glory. Our buildings are embassies in foreign lands and its members are ambassadors for his kingdom. And our allegiances and our hopes are not in the kingdoms of the earth. Our allegiances and hopes are in the kingdom of God, the Lord's kingdom, which has existed long before these nations of the earth and will exist long after we fade into history. We are citizens of a kingdom that is yet to come and yet is, has come at the same time. As the church, we were a reminder to the children of man, as we see here as Israel was to be a reminder of the children of man, and remind them of God, tell them of God's mighty deeds in verse 12, of the glorious splendor of his kingdom. We, the church, are a reminder to the children of man that God's kingdom is near and that the kingdom of God is at hand. And when elections don't seem to go our way, or better yet, there seems little to no politicians that seem to represent us, 
we have confidence in something greater, and that is God's never-ending kingdom and God's purposes that cannot be thwarted by men. All the authority that are given to our earthly governments are temporarily lent from God. Which is great news. Because the kingdoms of this earth are unjust and they are cruel and they're deceitful. And they let us down. And yet God is faithful to his word and he's good even to all of creation. He's good over all, he is merciful to all that he has made. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. So while humans lie and forget and break promises, God is faithful and you can trust him to keep his promises. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and they give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Today you might feel as if the weight of the world is on you and nothing seems to be going right. Put your burdens on him and he will hold you. And he will raise you up on the last day with Christ. He is the one who causes seasons to come and crops to grow, flowers to bloom. And he provides everything. He gives all provision provision that is made comes through him. And he will be your provision. He is the only one that can satisfy your desires. So do not look to anything else. It's only a mirage. It's only something that seems... Good for a moment and as a trick and as a lie. In times of desperation, we can cry out to him and he sees us and he hears our cry and he is near to us. Jesus himself was slandered, oppressed and beaten, shamed and ultimately killed. He hears the cry of all those who acknowledge him and he saves them and he answers them. as we come near the end of the psalm. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The song comes to a conclusion in a similar way as it begun, proclaiming the greatness of God and calling all creatures to praise him. So instead of telling you that your praise life is weak and that you have much to learn, I invite you to Give time to God of meditation, to devote time to expanding our thoughts of God. So that when our circumstances do not seem to display the greatness of God, our hearts can sing in the work that he's done in Jesus to save and redeem us, and the work that he's completing in us. As we struggle with sin and overcomes us, we can trust that ultimately, eventually, God will bring about victory in our own hearts and put to death the desires that no longer have power over us, but yet still seem to conquer us. One day, all people will see God and His majesty like they've never seen Him before. And will have no choice to acknowledge Him as, but to acknowledge Him as God and King. For some, that will be a wonderful day. And for others, it will be a terrible day. 
where they will look for a hiding place and one will not be found. They'll have nowhere to run. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord is merciful. Look at the cross. The Lord is gracious. Look at the cross. But he cannot ignore the sin that makes us guilty. And that is why Jesus condescended and became a man, came to earth, lived a sinless life, and died to pay for the sin that we deserved. He rose from death in victory over sin and over death so that his people who call upon his name would be saved. The Lord is gracious and he is slow to anger. And he has intentionally brought you here today so that you might hear of his gracious and merciful love and come to him. And he is near all who call on his name. I want to do something a little bit different. I want you to take less than a minute, 30 seconds, to look at a verse or two of this passage. Look at a verse or two and meditate on the greatness of God. Again, I want to invite you this week to consider the greatness of God every day. To expand your mind and to expand your thoughts of the greatness of God, even in the small things. He is truly unsearchable, and as we study His Word and experience His grace daily, we will be transformed by it. And if you don't know him, then today, what, what better day is there than today to come to know him, to call out to him and be saved? Again, he is near all who call on him. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to have a song. Feel free to come and speak with the pastor or pray. If you don't know him, I would encourage you to ask someone around you, who is this God? who is gracious and merciful and is willing to save. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your gracious mercy to us. I pray that as we consider your ways and think about your greatness, that we will be transformed by it. We thank you that Jesus has gone before us and has willingly worshipped you and given you praise and 
and been obedient to you even to the point of death on a cross. God, grant us grace. We don't feel like your promises are true. We aren't feeling like we're experiencing your promises daily. When the world seems to be against us, God, grant us grace. Give us peace in our hearts to love, trust, and serve you. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We want to thank you, Brother Nick, for doing a wonderful job helping us understand Psalm 145 this morning. We serve a great God. Amen, church. I'm so thankful that uh, the song we're going to close with this morning, Behold Our God, is... I think the song we're about to sing is a very fitting song for us to sing. About, uh, these words as we sing them. Sing them and think about them as you sing them and, and who God is and what, how He's revealed Himself. One of the things Nick said as he talked about the mighty works of God is, is this greatest work of God is in the gospel. It's in the cross and what He's done. The rest of the world calls that foolishness. To us that are saved, it's the power of God. So if you're here this morning and you've not, you've not recognized that you're a sinner in need of God's grace... But this morning you understand that you are and you need you need God's what, what He's provided in Jesus. The Bible tells you to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus, as Nick explained. We would love to talk with you about how God might be at work in your life in that way. As we're singing, if you want to come, I can talk with you during that time. We can just as easily talk after the service is over. You can grab my attention or someone else then. As, but I would ask you to encourage you to do so if God's speaking to you this morning. So let's stand and let's sing to our God together this morning. I praise Him. Praise the Lord. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen, church. Amen. Nicholas, thanks again for preaching this morning. I want to invite Nick, if you would, to join me at the back so folks can come by and, and uh, thank you for that message this morning. And uh, uh, this morning, if you're here and there's a decision you need to make, we would encourage you to, to come and talk with myself or someone else in the church that can help you with, with what's going on in your life. Pray with you. Uh, maybe you're here and you want to become a member of the church, and we'd love to talk with you about that. I, I mention that intensely because this morning, Mary Jane Fisher, which is Nicholas's mother, is wanting to become a member of our church. Raise your hand there and wave at everybody, Mary Jane, all right? I told her I wouldn't embarrass her by having her come forward. Mary Jane moved back to this area some time ago, and uh, a year or so ago, I can't remember. But anyway... Uh, she uh, is back in the area and wants to become a member of our church. We talked this week, and uh, she had had access to our membership materials for some time and, and said that she uh, agrees with what we believe and practice here and wants to become a member here and believes that God's kind of been convicting her about kind of making that commitment. So uh, we're thankful to have her here. Amen, church. And, and uh, we'll make that official at the future business meeting. So if, if you're in that situation want to talk about membership, please get in touch with myself. Most importantly, folks, becoming a member of the church don't make you a member of the kingdom of God. You know that, right? You've got to be born again. You've got to understand that you've, turned, you've sinned against God and you need His love and His forgiveness. He does love you. And He is your judge as well. So uh, let's be on the side in which you're going to receive His love and, and uh, that the, just, the justice due you has been paid for through Jesus. So be sure you're trusting in Him. And if you're not sure about that, you don't have assurance of your salvation, then please, I'd love to talk with you. Get my attention before you leave this morning so we can talk about that. Brandon Kite is one of our deacons. I noticed his name in the bulletin is going to be praying this morning. Brandon, would you close us in prayer? Bow with me. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, Lord, just from Sunday school and and now from this sermon, um, just a sober reminder that you are holy, that you are sovereign, you are in control of everything. Um, Lord, I am just convicted this morning that my actions, my thoughts uh, don't always reflect that that you are in control, Lord, it isn't about me, it's not about us, it's not about our desires and what we want or what makes us feel happy, Um, it's about bringing you glory, you are the creator of the universe, Lord, we thank you for that, we thank you that you're in control and we are not, Um, what a scary place this would be if we were, Lord, I pray now that as we go home and we go out to the world that, Lord, that we would react to situations and things that go against us in a way that um, that shows that we know you're in control and, um, Lord, that we need to respond in a way that is Christ-like, um, in a humble way, um, to not be quickly offended uh, by things that are said, by a rebuke or by things that mess up our little kingdom, Lord. Just so convicted this morning of this. I am not king. We are not king. You are, Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to pay our price, for taking the the wrath that we deserve, Lord, um, that we can now sing to you, that we can now worship you, and, and Lord, give you glory. I pray that our lives would do that now. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. 
At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.